Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Russ Branzell, President and CEO of Chime. In this segment, Branzell discusses his concerns regarding the timelines for interoperability, why he's still mad as hell about patient matching, and the prioritization challenges facing so many CIOs. Hi, Russ. Thank you, as always, for taking some time to speak with us. Thank you for having me today. Sure. So I know we have a lot to talk about. There's, there's so much going on. Um, but I wanted to uh, start with, with meaningful use, everyone's, everyone's favorite topic. Um, but there is, you know, there is so much there. Um, we had last month uh, the final rule was published, which, you know, granted more flexibility for meaningful use requirements, but it didn't grant a shorter reporting period. And wanted to, to get your thoughts on this because we know that this is significant, but, but I want to talk about, you know, how this specifically affects the, the CIOs, uh, you know, our audience. Well, again, I, I think we were generally encouraged that ONC and, and in particular CMS and HHS are recognizing that there's need for flexibility in the program. And as you look at the flexibility that was granted, it really didn't help a vast majority of the industry because it really was 2014 reporting period flexibility for stage two. Yeah. And it really was just a finalization of what they recognized now almost five months ago, six months ago, which is what we and many other associations were telling them 12 and 18 months ago. So by the time they finalized the rule, it was actually too late for most people. So if they did delay, hoping for some, it actually put them behind for 2015 because there was no flexibility going into 2015. So if they delayed their software implementation staying on an older version, hoping for this flexibility to really help them, and even if it did, it actually impeded their progress into 15, where they needed to be ready on 1 October for, for the new rule reporting period, which they needed to be 365. It would have been perfect if they would have said, okay, you can do this, but now you really don't have to have your software installed in 90 days of reporting will work starting in Q2 or Q3. But they actually created a rule that caused damage in later periods of time. Right. As we've heard, the, the reporting has been a challenge for, for a lot of organizations. Well, even as of this week, they came out with, with new possibilities for hardship exemptions due to the fact that physicians couldn't get their data in because their website had issues. Right. So even if somebody got done what they needed to get done, they were impeded because they had problems reporting the data in through HHS's website. So again, we're heading in the right direction. We don't want to sound like it's doom and gloom. They just need to recognize that a little bit of flexibility, people aren't all the same. A small physician office isn't the same as a giant IDN. They don't all have the same resources. Let's just create a little flexibility so people can move at slightly different paces and at different timings and all still be successful. Okay. So now um, talking a little bit about the, the HEMA conference last week, uh, you talked about the need for clarity in the industry and the need for a patient identifier. And this is something that, that we have heard so many people talk about, and you know, you said your quote was "I'm mad as hell," which was very well received. And you know, I want to talk about why you think it's it's important to kind of put yourself out there and be so candid, um, you know, to talk about how you really feel about this. 
Well, sometimes you're you're just fortunate or lucky rather than being good. In this case, it was actually we got more applause than I was allowed to finish the entire rest of the statement. But I'll take credit for it now because it got so much positive momentum in the industry. Um, you know, we we are concerned, and I think that's the best way to put it. I, I think you would be concerned if you had family members in hospitals where you knew patient matching was an issue. And I think everyone would. And I think this is an area where we really just can't continue on the status quo and think somehow this is going to be magically solved uh, over over some period of time. It's going to take some revolutionary action by some folks sticking their necks out a little bit and making some people mad and being willing to have those tough those really tough conversations out in a public forum like that. Uh, I, I was hoping that we would create some na- some national debate on this. Fortunately, I think it did occur. Yeah. Patient matching, and you, even if you give up on the concept of, which we won't, on the concept of a true patient identifier, just clear, regulated, everyone does it the same way, patient matching standards should be so simple of a foundation cornerstone of what we did in meaningful use. But we don't even have that, but then we don't understand why HIEs can't match patients and hospitals have mismatches of patients because there's not a simple, consistent way of doing it. I'll even give up on simple, just a consistent way of doing it because we've got really smart people in this industry that know how to make this work. And at this point, it just seems like we've impeded the entire progress of this by not allowing the very fundamental portion of the DNA of how health information exchange and patient management of data should be working. And I've yet to meet anybody other than a few zealots in privacy, and even they don't disagree in this concept that they want patients to be appropriately connected and matched. They just want it done in a correct way. But somehow we're forgetting this this very premise. It should be almost the number one priority list of everybody in our country right now involved in HIT. Right. It, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a head scratcher that you know the whole issue with with having some kind of patient matching standard, like you said. You you would think that that would be a foundation for everything else. Uh, and. and we understand and actually respect the, the folks that come out very strongly on privacy and security of information. We agree with that 100%. We've got to do it in a way that protects people's privacy and allows people to opt out of anything they may not want to be able to be involved in. But for the vast majority that are concerned more about patient safety and patient quality, we want to make sure we have solutions out there for them. And, and we're working on some of that right now behind the scenes, nothing to talk about quite yet, but, but we're not going to be passive in this. We're going to continue to be as aggressive in partnering with people and trying to make this the number one priority for people across the country. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about uh, patient safety and interoperability. Um, a few months ago, Chime and Amdis filed comments in response to the F- FDA SIA health IT report stating that the, the biggest gains to patient safety could be obtained by retooling ONC certification program to require more rigorous interoperability testing. And I just wanted to get a little bit from you about that, you know, that role of interoperability in increasing patient safety and, and how this testing can help. Well, if you just look at what's occurred over the last four weeks, a clear roadmap and vision from ONC and HHS on the plans for interoperability. 
But the irony in this is it's a 10-year roadmap Mm -hmm. in which when you look at the beginning of meaningful use, we believed and those that tried to put this together believed we needed to have somewhere in the neighborhood of stage two at the earliest, stage three at the latest, full interoperability to achieve the goals of the program. So there's a significant mismatch between our needs in the industry for interoperability and timelines being laid out to get there. And so the, the only true tool in ONC's and really HHS's tool bag to make this enforceable is certification. They have no other enforcement capability. So they need to create certification requirements for interoperability, therefore driving performance both on a vendor side and a uh, provider side to make it all work together. That's the only tool they have that can make it work, which is why we're so strong in saying that. If there was other tools that we weren't aware of, more public policy as far as laws, but we just know how impeded that process is. At this point, they have a tool they can execute on. We'd love to see them use it in a more adamant way. Right. I mean, it's what it all comes down to, is being able to have, have, these, have this data work together and, and speak to uh, different systems. Correct. Okay. Now, um, obviously, uh, you, have, you have the ear of the CIOs. You talk to so many of them all the time. And um, one of the most common concerns that we've heard is about, um, you know, the, the burden being placed on the IT staff and, you know, the challenges it poses, particularly for some organizations in holding on to good people. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that or a, a, any kind of insights you can provide there um, just because this is such a big issue. Yeah, this is this is the, a true definition of a, a double-edged sword. We need to do so much, and there's so much we're not even getting to, but at the exact same time, we're doing too much, we're not doing it as well as we can, and we're burning individuals out, not just on the IT staff, in organizations as a whole. We cannot culturally change and adapt to this much change as fast as we could deploy the technology. Therefore, we're creating an environment where technology solutions fail because we don't have time to create process and cultural change to go with it. And I think that's part of it. I think we have to change the equation of success. The success isn't technical implementation. It's technical implementation with the appropriate process change, with the appropriate cultural change that needs to go with this. And we used to say, you know, an IT project wasn't successful just because it went live. You needed to have all the process change. I think what's being recognized now is that very successful projects have to have all three legs of the stool, and that being technical change, process change, and cultural slash behavioral change to go with that. And those are very, very hard. The latter two, their cultural and cultural change, are ones that truly are difficult to absorb in an organization. You can get a technical project done in six months, but to truly get process and cultural change hardwired in an organization, it could take months or years to actually get that ingrained in an organization to be successful. Yeah. That really seems to be one of the sticking points is, is change management and doing that in a, in a way that's, that doesn't, isn't forcing change too fast. But at the same time, you know, there are deadlines, so that's, that's a tough one. And, and a lot of this has to do with successful organizations prioritize well. Just because they have 10 projects that are all positive doesn't mean they do all 10. 
they pick the best of those 10 and what's most important and try to focus on those and do those really well. It is, though, a dilemma with organizations that are trying to change so fast to get ahead of this cultural, or I'm sorry, uh, industry transformation process, but they, at the same time, could be hurting their organization to be ready for that by trying to do too much too quickly. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.